Let's turn to God's Word this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're turning to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, just one verse in the book of Isaiah. And while you're turning there, I want to quote a couple of verses of Scripture to you. I don't need you to turn to these Scriptures. You'll know them particularly well. They are found in most of our homes, on our walls, underlined in our Bibles. I would say that a lot of people have the verses that I'm about to quote underlined or little prayer cards or Scripture cards in their Bible with these verses. Just before we read from Isaiah chapter 43, I want to quote these two verses. It's Jeremiah 29 and 11. Very well known. For I know the thoughts, or some versions say, I know the plans that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I know the plans. God has a plan, I believe it, for every person, every individual. God has a thought and a plan for every life. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I believe that. In Psalm 37 and verse 4 it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. Plans and desires. God has put those desires in your heart. Plans that God has for every life. Plans for his church in these days. Plans for individuals. Plans for us all. God has thoughts and plans for every life. I believe that this morning. God has a perfect plan for our lives, and also that he will give us the very desire of our hearts. Now I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 43, and one verse there, Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. These verses in Jeremiah 29 and also in Psalm chapter 37 often are taken out of context. I don't often think it's intentionally, but they are. The plans that God has and the desires that he puts in his heart are in the context of Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7. Everyone that is called by the name of Jesus Christ has been created for the glory of God. Now that's very important because often Jeremiah 29 and 11 is put on our wall and it's in some ways something of the plans that we have that God is going to bless. Or in some ways, it's the desires that I have that God will make them happen. But when you understand, and I believe this morning, and over these few days, I've had a sense, and I don't want to be uh, overdramatic in any way, but I, I had a sense that I was probably about to preach the most important message I, I feel that I've ever preached they understand the very purpose of a life. They understand the purpose of the individual. They understand the purpose of the church. They understand God's purpose in our lives and the plan that he has and the desires that he's put within us. It's for the one primary supreme purpose. That is, we are created. We are created by him and for him and for his glory. 
Often these plans that we make, we quote the verse and say, this is my plan and God has given me this plan and God is going to bless this plan and this is what I have for my life or this is the desire because God has said he will give me the desire of my heart. But this is all in the context of this one primary purpose. And I want to encourage you this morning just to grasp this. Because if we do grasp it, if we grasp it as as believers, as a church, as a company of saints, as ministers of the gospel, in whatever capacity we serve the Lord, that the primary purpose of everything that we do as God's people, we have been created for him and for his glory. Everything of what we are and what we do has been created for the glory of God. That is the primary function and purpose and plan and desire of God that my life and your life is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That is it. In Revelation uh, chapter 4 and verse 11, it says, There thou art worthy, we sing this as a song, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and they were created. The whole purpose of creation, the whole purpose of us being created and the new birth, the new creation in Christ, is the, is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, to glorify God. We have been created for this primary function to glorify the God of heaven. When I mentioned to you this morning this term, the glory of God, I wonder, have you ever stopped to think for a moment, what is the glory of God? What actually is, when we have been created for his glory, what does it mean What is the glory of God? How do you explain the glory of God? And often in this answer we find out an awful lot about the person to grasp the glory of God. Because a shallow grasp of such a crucial scriptural truth will will show in some ways and rob even that individual of the purpose of God in their life. Do you understand why has God saved me? What is the purpose of salvation and God redeeming me from the horrible pit and bringing me in to the family of God and into the kingdom of God and my name's been written in the last book of life and now I'm here on this planet earth. I've been saved out of destruction. He's washed me from my sin. I'm born of the Spirit. Praise the Lord. I have a song in my heart. But here is the purpose of my What now is the purpose of my life? And you know, friends, it's sad, but so many people never find out what their purpose is, why God has saved them. And to grasp this wonderful scriptural truth that we have been created for the glory of God. The question is, what is the glory? And an attempt to explain the glory because in some ways we are talking about God himself so we cannot fully grasp or explain the glory of God. But we will attempt this morning from the Bible to explain why we have been created. You know, that word glory, Webster's Dictionary defines the word glory here as praise, honor, or distinction given by common consent, or worshipful praise, honor, and thanksgiving. In other words, we give the glory to the Lord. 
We're here to glorify the Lord. We're here to uh, give him the honor and the praise and the glory because it, it belongs to him. So there's something of this then we understand that the glory, to give glory to God is to praise him or to give him the, the honor that he deserves. Now God's very serious about his glory. This is not something that should be uh, treated lightly in any way. But in Isaiah, if you turn into Isaiah chapter 42 and, and verse 8, then it says, 42 and verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So here we see it again, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory, my glory will I not give to anyone else. So God God is saying here, my praise and my glory, no one else can take it. It belongs to me and it is mine alone. So when we are being created for the very glory of God Almighty, for his praises, for his honor, this glory he shares with no one else. If you turn over to Isaiah chapter 48, we read it again here just to give you the sense of how God views his glory and his praise. Isaiah 48 and verse 10 It says, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction for mine own sake. Even for mine own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? I will not, God says, I will not give my glory unto another. We see here that his glory is unique to himself. Nobody, no man, no church, no ministry, nothing will share the glory of God, all the glory and the honor and the praise of everything of what God has done in your life and my life and what God has done in saving me and keeping me and blessing me and giving me a wife and children and everything that God has ever done. All the glory goes to Jesus Christ and Him alone. What God has done in your life by saving your soul, by redeeming you by His great power, A supernatural act of God. You cannot save yourself. A church cannot save you. A minister cannot save you. But Jesus in his mercy has saved you. And when he saved you, he saved you for his glory and for his purpose. He deserves all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. If God has healed you, it's because he deserves the glory. If God has filled you with the Holy Ghost, he deserves the glory. If God has blessed you with a talent or a gift, he deserves the glory. You have been created for the glory of God. I will give my glory, he says, to no one else. I am the one, Jesus Christ, God alone, he deserves the glory. We have been created for the very glory of God. His glory is unique to himself. I may not be able to give a full explanation, but this morning I find this this concept or this truth, the glory of God. It was Moses that cried, Lord, show me thy glory. He wanted a glimpse of the eternal God. There's another part of the glory as we look at that adoration and praise. And we'll look at this from the Old Testament perspective to begin with. It's when the invisible God appears. Think about this. This is the glory of God. It's now the glory of the Lord appearing. It's yes to do with praise and adoration, but it is God himself, the glory of God. It's the appearing of that which is invisible. God is a spirit. 
But then he appears. He appears and there's there's things that happen. There's symbols and there's actual manifestations of the appearing of the Almighty God. And the Bible tells us the glory of the Lord appeared. I want to show you some of these in the Old Testament. If you go back to Exodus chapter 16 and verse 10, we're looking at the glory of the Lord this morning. Exodus 16 and verse 10, it says, And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness. And look what it says, And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared appeared in in the cloud. Now we're seeing that it's God, the invisible God, appearing in a cloud. Turn over to Exodus chapter 24 and verse 16. And there it says, And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called out to Moses in the midst of the cloud, and the sight of the glory of God. So this is not so much something that we do in praise and adoration to God, giving him the glory, but this is God himself. The sight of the glory of God was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So now we see the invisible God is appearing and his glory is seen by man. When it tells us in Deuteronomy 5 and referring to this event, it says in Deuteronomy 5.24, Behold, the Lord our God has showed us his glory and his greatness. We have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God does talk with man and God lives. There was the appearing in the Old Testament of the God of heaven and earth, the almighty, the, the, the majestic God appearing and his glory coming with the cloud or in the fire. You go over into Exodus chapter 40. Again, we see verse 34 and verse 35. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Here we're seeing again a manifestation of the glory of God and filling the tabernacle. We see God, the invisible God, appearing and the glory of God so much so that that Moses was not able to enter into the midst because the presence of the Lord was so mighty, was so great. The glory of the Lord. We read in 2 Chronicles, if you turn over in chapter 7, now we're moving into the Solomon's temple and the erection of that temple, a house for God to dwell in. But in 2 Chronicles 7 and 1, It says, now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory, look what it says, the glory of the Lord filled the house, and the priest could not enter because the glory had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of of Israel saw the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement. They worshipped. They said, praise the Lord, for God is good. His mercy endures forever. If you think about it for a moment, these This temple or these tabernacles that we've been referring to this morning to grasp the truth of the glory of the Lord. Now we see it as as something that is the appearing of the Lord. 
It's the appearing of God in a cloud or by fire. And then when the temple was erected, we see that the glory of the Lord filled the whole house. The priest could not enter because the glory of God had come down. The glory of heaven came down and filled the tabernacle or filled the temple. So we see that the glory is not even just so much. And this is crucial that the glory is an honor and a praise to God. But then we see it also as it is God himself. One one writer says that you cannot distinguish between the glory of God and the holiness of God. There is no distinction between the two and, and, and trying to grasp the truth and the fullness of these great attributes of God. For man in his finite mind, we, we, we find it difficult that God is unique and supreme and majestic and there's no one like the God that we serve and his glory and his holiness There is no one like God. And so when he appears in his glory, that's why men bowed themselves and they could not even enter in. The appearing of the invisible God. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 40 and 5 that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. This was a prophetic scripture. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all the flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And now we're talking about the invisible God manifest in his glory. Now if you turn over into the New Testament, the simple truth of the glory of God revealed to us is all found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the glory of God. In John 1 and 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word is Jesus. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him, that is Jesus, was not anything made that was made. He is the Creator God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, And the darkness comprehended it not. Down to verse 14. And the word. Remember Isaiah said that the glory shall be revealed. And the word was made flesh. That's Jesus. And dwelt among us. And we, the apostle says, beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He's full of grace. And he's full of truth. So now as we take the journey through the old, the invisible God appearing as cloud and fire and the glory of the Lord in tabernacles and temples, now we come into the fullness of the revelation that the glory of the Lord being revealed was in Jesus Christ when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of God even as the only begotten of the Father and He's full of grace and He's full of truth. Here is the glory of God in flesh. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 1 and 1, God, who in sundry times in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, 
Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged my sin, our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty and high. He is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. This is Jesus Christ. So now we see that the glory of God that we look at in the Old Testament, as we journey through and just some of those examples, when we come into the new, we've often heard it that the old, that Christ is concealed, but in the new, that Christ is revealed. And now we see the full revelation of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the eternal Son, the Son of the living God, but He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of God in a human frame, all of God and all of man. Here we see the glory of God, the appearing of God in the flesh. Colossians 1 of 14 says, "...and whom we have redemption." Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So the glory of God, as we begin to grasp this great truth, I want you to stay with me this morning for a few more moments. But the glory of God, and this is why I believe this is such an important subject for us to grasp, and the purpose of our lives. Remember, we have been created we have been created by him and for him. The, the whole purpose of our lives is that God would redeem us out of the powers of darkness. We have no ability to, to release ourselves from the powers of darkness. We are under that, that, that realm and that power of Satan. We are children of disobedience. We are without hope in this world. There is no one and there is nothing in this planet that can save us. But by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, when God moved and when he opened our eyes, when he brought conviction of sin upon our lives, and by the mercy of God, when we called out to God, God reached down and he saved us brought us out of a horrible pit, washed us in his own precious blood, set our feet upon a rock, clothed us in his own righteousness, and now we have been created for the very purpose and the glory of God. Remember, we are created for his glory. That's the reason you've been saved at the very beginning of your walk with Christ, or even if you've gone down some years. But here's the very purpose of my life. My whole existence while God gives me another day on this planet is to glorify God. Not as the whole purpose of my life. Not to glorify me. Not to glorify man. Not to glorify our talents or our gifts. But to glorify Jesus and Him alone. This is the plan that He has for you. This is the desire that He will put in your heart. If you want to live a life for God that pleases God, if we grasp this, brothers and sisters, if we get to the fullness of this truth, we'll know of this glory in such a deeper and a greater way that Christ would be glorified and men would be drawn unto Him because when He's lifted up, He said, I'll draw all men unto Myself. Now I want to show you this morning in Scripture, if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 17. Remember this thought that my life, your life, my life, this church and every other church, but we can only be answerable for here, has been birthed and created for the glory 
of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1. And after six days, Matthew 17 and 1. And after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James and John, his brother, and he brings them up into a high mountain apart. Now listen to these words. And was transfigured before them. Now listen carefully. And his face did shine as the sun. And his raiment was white as the light. I want to stop there if you don't mind. I think at verses like this we need to stop for a moment. We need to consider what we're reading. We need to take a pause. We need to just look again. Because we can be so like Peter so often in the accounts that we read of him. He is taken up a mountain by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he brings him to a place. And then the Bible says that because Christ is there, he is transfigured. He is transformed, if you like, before them. His face began to shine as the sun. This is a fully a man born of a woman. But he is Jesus Christ, God's Son, the eternal Son. And now the glory that we have been reading off in the tabernacles and the temple and which, which the prophets have prophesied, something happens. It's simply like this. It's like that God just pulled the curtain back for a moment. For Peter, James, and John, the gaze in the eternal realms of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. God in his mercy just pulled the curtains, the veil that's upon us that we're seeing through a glass darkly in this, in this side of time. But it was like God at that moment just said, I'll pull the curtains back for Peter to see. And as the curtains came back and they were looking at this man, Jesus, his face, oh, his face began to shine as the sun. His raiment was as white as the light. Here is the eternal God, Jesus Christ in the flesh. But now they're getting a glimpse of the glory. They're getting a glimpse of the eternal glory of the Lord. Then what happened, there appeared in verse 3, unto them Moses and Elias, and they were talking with him. So now we see two Old Testament men of God, Moses the mediator of the old, Elijah the great prophet, they have appeared with the Lord Jesus Christ. His face is shining. His garments are as white. And these men, Peter, are looking at this awesome sight. And his face is And they're talking with the Lord. And Luke's account, don't turn there, but in Luke's account in verse chapter 9 and 31, Luke tells us that they, they, they speak. What did they talk about? They speak of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. I mean, brothers and sisters, if you think about this for a moment, I mean, I just, I just had to stop. We see here that He is the eternal God. He's the Lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. We see these created beings, Moses and Elijah, who have, who have served the Lord faithfully and they appear with the eternal Lamb and they're talking about Calvary. That's what they were talking. They were talking about the work that's going to be finished, the mission that he'd been sent to do, that which has been purposed in God in eternity before there was an earth, before there was a galaxy, before there was a human, before there was a devil, before there was the angels. God had purposed in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that one day 
that Jesus Christ would come into a sin-cursed world, the Son of the living God, and that he would go all the way to Calvary and he would die on a, on a cruel cross outside Jerusalem on this planet for every man, woman, boy and girl. And they talked of this mission that would be accomplished. It tells us then, if you look at it, then Peter answered, or then answered Peter, and said, what would you do? I think this is what's crept in to the church, what has crept into so much of Christianity today. Verse 4, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. I don't know what way he was saying it, but maybe he was saying it in this way. Lord, we're here and the rest aren't. We have got a glimpse of this, but nobody else has. Now, Lord, if you don't mind, would you mind for a moment, could we build three tabernacles? One for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. We're going to do something. We're going to build something. We're going to establish something. We're going to do something because we have seen the glory. We have seen Moses. We have seen Elijah. It's, it's time for us to do something. We'll build something. Lord, would you let us do it here, right here now, because we have seen your glory, and it's up to us to do the work. At that moment, while he yet spake, verse 5, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud which said, Listen, this is my beloved Son. Think about it. In whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and they were afraid. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. There's so much of what the activity is today. So much of what we are doing today is because we want to try and build something. We feel it in some way we've got a grasp or we've got something that we need to do. Because this is the plans and the callings and this is what God wants me to do. And yet in it all, God has created us for his glory. And it is it, is it all for his glory? Is, is this for his glory? Is this for his glory? Is this for his purpose? Is this the purpose of God? And is this for the glory of Jesus and him alone? There's a lot of building. I'm not just talking about material things, but there's a lot of building in the kingdom of God today. But friends, listen carefully. It's not going to stand the fire. It won't stand the fire. If you turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. And it says there, For other foundation can no man lay that is led, which is Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, for the day. That's the day that every man and woman will stand and look Jesus Christ in the eye. The day shall declare it. It will manifest everything of what we've done because it shall be revealed, it says, by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work what sort it is. Listen, what that means really is, very simply, 
There's only going to be one work that's going to actually stand. That's going to actually stand on that day. It's all the work that has been done for the glory of God and Him alone. Everything else is going to be revealed, but it's going to be burned by fire. If any man's work, verse 14, abide which he shall build thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells within you? What we see here, just very carefully, we look at it. What we see here is that there's a day of accountability for the church of Jesus Christ, for the individuals that are saved, that are walking with God, that have the purpose and plans of God in their heart. Like every person that's saved get a new heart, but that heart is the heart of God. And so God puts his desires within them, his purpose and his plans. And every person has one chief aim, and that is to glorify God. That's the whole purpose of our lives. And so in that, God will call us, God will gift us, God will enable us, God will place us in an assembly and a church, and there we'll we'll come together and we'll work as co-workers together and labor together for the glory of Jesus Christ, submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord, knowing that the last days are upon us, and we'll work and we'll work and we'll do what God has purposed us to do. But brothers and sisters, What this is telling us here is every man's work, what he was doing all his life is going to be manifested because there's a day coming for every believer. I know it's not preached much. I know it's not said much. I know we don't even at this stage want to hear much about it. But all the work that we have done will be made manifest. Everything of what we have done will be manifested on that day. And everything that we have done that hasn't been for the glory of God, even though how much how great it is, or how worldwide that ministry may be known, or how insignificant you may think it is, but everything that we have done for the glory of ourselves, for our own name, will all be burned up in the fire just in a moment. In 1 Corinthians 3 and 19, It says, So the wisdom of the world is the foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Verse 20, And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So we're so taken by the worldly system. We're so taken by what the world presents to us and what has slipped into the church of what, what God is looking for in this day. We're so conditioned by the presentation. We're so conditioned by the promotion. We're so conditioned by the sound bites and all the things and all the trappings that go with it. And this is the work of the Lord. Could I tell you, friends, that so much of it is all for the fire? I am the Lord, and that is my name, my glory I give to no one else. Neither my praise to grieving images. When God's glory is taken, when we understand that the very purpose and the glory of God is our lives, that God wants to move in His power and in His glory through His, through the people that He's redeemed and through His church of, through the church of Jesus Christ, we must know, friends, first of all, And he will not share his glory with anyone. His glory. For his name. 
For his honor. Now I know that all of us desire and sincerely want to do everything that we do. We're doing it for his glory. But it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to go into the very innermost parts of a life and a being. And and detest the very agendas and the motives of why we do what we do. Why we actually do it. The glory of the Lord. When God's glory is taken, the mind of Peter exists in serving God. We'll build a tabernacle. We have to do something. We have to establish something. We have to create a ministry. We have to do something. Oh, friends, this morning, how much of this modern stuff is going to be for the fire? How much of it's going to be burnt in an instant? How much of the kingdoms of men are going to go in one moment when we look at Christ eye to eye? What will we say if he says to us, you did it for your glory. You did it for your own name. You promoted for yourself, but not for me and for my honor, for my glory. And it's all burnt and you're saved. You're saved. You're saved. Thank God you're saved. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea. I have made him the whole purpose of a life and why we've been created. This one chief thing and one chief aim of every believer's life is everything that I do, I do it for the glory of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1 and 25 says, The foolishness of God is wiser than man. The weakness of God is stronger than man. For you see your calling, brethren, how there are not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, yea, had God chosen, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. And no flesh will glory in his presence. No flesh will glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus of God, who of, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. There be no flesh but glory in his presence. That's why that anointing oil that flowed down the head of iron, down to his beard, onto his skirts, never touched his flesh. The anointing. What a day we're in because more than ever we cry for a move of the Holy Spirit. We cry for God to come. We cry for the glory of God to fill the house again. We believe it and we pray for it. And we cry for a revival and a move of the Spirit of God. We pray genuinely that God would fill his house again with his power and with his glory. The wonderful truth and the filling of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That is, these temples are the temples of the living God. And God's purpose is that every temple would be filled with the spirit of the living God. And Christ on the throne of every heart. And the temple of the the spiritual house of God. Filled with the power of the living God. The glory of God. How Jesus wants and desires to manifest his glory. But the flesh always grieves the spirit, quenches the power and the manifestation of his glory. 
You see, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is God. Jesus said in John 16 and 13, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he hears, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He, this is what he'll do, he shall glorify me. I want you to, I'm coming to a close here in a couple of minutes. He will glorify me, but I want, I, I want you to stop for a moment. How we need the Holy Ghost. How we need a move of the Spirit of God. How we need the power of God. You know, it seems like the church today is impotent against the principalities and powers and strongholds and wickedness that's unleashed all around us. How we need the power of the living God. How we need the church filled with the power of the Spirit. How we need lives filled with the Spirit of God. Now here is the purpose. My life is for God's glory. That's why I've been created. Here's the second thing. We can't do that unless we have the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you a third thing. The Holy Spirit will never move to glorify you and never move to glorify me. But he will move when our whole motive and agenda is to glorify Jesus. How we need him. So friends, today, in all our activity, is it to glorify him? And if it is, Lord, Send us the blessed Holy Spirit. Empower us afresh that your name would be lifted up. I'll continue with this next Sunday morning. For whose glory? How, as the church, what we must do in order for these vessels to be ready. For the glory to fill the house again. To empower us for the service of the King. That in everything, he will be glorified. He will be glorified. I fear, and certainly I've examined, and certainly I know that we continue to put our lives under the search lamp of the Holy Spirit. But on that day, so much is for the fire. Oh, but it was a great work. But men sang your praises. But people give you promotion. But people thought about how great you were or how great I was. Oh, friends, deliver us from such things. Lord, may men speak of how great Christ is in us. Everything will be tested and tried on that day. How much is for the fire, saints? How much is for the fire? How much is going to be burned? We'll be saved, but how much is for the fire? These lives, let us present our bodies today as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. It is our reasonable service. By his mercies we give him these bodies that God would be glorified through them. Oh, friend, let us give him our lives afresh. Let him test every motive and agenda. We should not fear those things because there's no greater thing than to know that Christ is being glorified through your life. 
That is the greatest thing that a man or a woman can know, that Jesus is being glorified through me. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, I pray, O God, that you would take us and that you would do a deeper thing in these hearts and these lives, in this church and in your church collectively across this land. O Father, we pray. Lord, we're looking again for thy name to be lifted up, for men to be drawn unto you. But Lord, I pray for a deep dealing in our lives and in our hearts to grasp this great truth that we have been created for his glory. Oh God, today, we don't want to be building for ourselves, whatever that may be, whatever talent or gift that may be, that we, that we seek, Lord, to exalt for ourselves. But, oh, God, we're asking for thy glory. Lord, we need the glory. Oh, we need the glory. Lord, continue to speak. Continue to deal. Glorify your name through the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.